Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Blizzard Watch Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joe Perez, and uh, I've sort of taken over today's hosting duties, uh, mostly because this way you'll actually be able to hear my voice occasionally, because today is all going to be about uh, our, our my wonderful co-hosts, Matt and Liz, and their uh, joyous excitement Uh <laughs> At returning to Sanctuary, not that I'm not excited, but I didn't have time to play in the uh, the betas, whereas Matt and Liz did. So, but before we get started with that, Matt, Liz, how you doing today? I got bit by a spider. Uh, Every have day, you gotten superpowers yet? No, that's, no powers. That's the only thing. Ugh. Listen, I've if we hardly worth it, then if we live in a yeah. universe where Matt gets bit by a spider and gets spider powers, and I don't, I'm done. <laughs> I am just oh, really? done. If that happens, I'll come bite you. I promise. I don't know that it'll do it. Does, does that just make me into a giant New Englander? <laughs> the problem is you have the proportional power of a New Englander, which since you're smaller than me, means you'd have less of it. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I guess that's what actually being a New Yorker is like being a smaller New Englander, I suppose. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> well, we're this not... Yeah, let's let's move on. It, it's listen. This is a much better <laughs> intro than what happened on Sunday. We're good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> and nobody will ever hear it. It's fantastic. No, we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be talking about Diablo Four. Uh, so I guess we're just gonna get right into the meat of it. So Diablo Four is going to be different in a number of ways from the previous Diablo games, mostly in game systems. So from what you've experienced, uh, I guess let's start with like gearing up and like npcs right because mm-hmm. here we, we talked about the occultist the blacksmith and the jeweler changing how gearing is done first of all explain who the occultist uh is because we didn't have an occultist before no uh basically the occultist is sort of like Kanai's cube but a person uh and it, 
it's taken a little bit of the role of the mystic in Diablo three too. They yeah, kind of jammed yeah. a bunch of things together and given it a yeah. name. Instead of instead of you having Kanai's cube and then running over to the mystic, basically they've taken some of the stuff the mystic had and just made that its own stuff. Like if you want to transmog, you just go and transmog. You have a wardrobe and you do it. Um, but if you wanted to alter gear, add legendary suffixes to gear that isn't legendary, otherwise, you know, improving gear in various ways, it's either the occultist or the blacksmith or the jeweler. And it's usually the occultist if it's anything like, like a legendary affix or more power in that regard. Um, Liz, you want to talk about and the, the occultist in particular? Because there's a whole subsystem to this. Yeah, there really is. And as you advance in levels, it becomes more and more important to have good gear, the right legendaries that support your particular build or desired playstyle. And uh, one of the things the occultist does is he will remove legendary powers from legendaries, and then you can put them on another legendary. I think that was something Kanai's Cube did before. That was the, uh, yeah, that was the cube from, uh, you were able to do it in Diablo 3. Yeah, yeah. But you could, you can also go and run dungeons. And dungeons will reward you at the end with what's called a legendary aspect. Now, the occultist just knows every legendary aspect you've collected and can just apply that aspect to any of your pieces of gear and turn it into a legendary item with that affix. And, uh... That's pretty heckin' nice, because you can just, you kind of collect some of the ones you want, and the ones you can get in dungeons aren't all of them, they aren't any of the, like, super, super desirable ones that you really want, but it's like a solid selection that you can go through the world and collect, and you can apply them to any piece of gear, anytime, as long as you have the crafting materials and the gold to do so. Uh, but it's, I mean, it's, it's really added, hmm... Uh, you've got a lot of flexibility with legendaries because of the occultist. And some of that was in Diablo three and some of it wasn't. Yeah. It's just really easy to go and just become fully equipped with legendary gear. I mean, I think I had full legendaries uh, by level well, 40. So let me, let me ask you a question then based off of this, because there, this is sort of a, a weird, maybe concept from like going from Diablo two to Diablo three to Diablo four and Diablo two, getting a legendary or set piece was momentous, right? Like it, it felt mm-hmm. incredibly important because it wasn't just raining legendaries. Uh, it, you know, it, there rained other things for sure. Uh, but legendaries necessarily weren't necessarily one of the chief among them. Diablo three sort of turned that on its head uh, partially because of how Diablo three started, but then even later on, like legendary sort of became just ubiquitous with uh, end game items. Like you just, that's how you did your build was gathering the necessary uh, legendaries. So with Diablo four now, are legendaries so I get prevalent, I guess would be the right word. Are they, are they dropping so frequently that it loses its sort of, luster or importance or is it still got that importance and now it's been sort of coupled in with the the uh gearing system and and sort of like a customization system for the character Um, hmm. i would argue that it's abandoned a lot of the god-awful diablo 2 system which was terrible beyond belief and should have been burned in a fire um you and i disagree on this and we've had these arguments and we'll have more i don't actually disagree so i'm not sure (laughs) All right. Well, I thought you were saying, yo, Diablo 2 is great and Diablo 3 is bad. No, I just want to know the differences. Um, The way I would put it is this. You don't get as many legendary drops as in D3. 
I think even at lower levels, you don't get as many drops, but the drops yeah, you do get, you can basically say, oh, I got this really cool legendary. You can use it for a while. You can you can level it with the blacksmith. You can go to the blacksmith and, and say, look, add more item power to this up to a limit of plus 15. So you can keep it going for a while, but eventually you're going to get to the point where you can't, that legendary is now just too old. And if that happens, you can then go to the occultist and say, hey, turn this into a thing I can use to apply it later to some other polearm I get. And he can do that for you. And then when you have the materials, you can go and you can, it's a one use thing. It's not like when you have an aspect that you've learned, those are in his little book and he can just apply them indefinitely. But with this system, you get that legendary, you're using it for a while, you really like it, but it's just out of date. When you turn it into a new thing that you can apply to a new weapon, it basically turns your new weapon into the weapon you just had, kind of. But not quite. It's not the same weapon, but it has that power added to it. That's it for that for that use. You've basically yeah. taken that legendary power, you've added it to a new item, and now when that item gets as high as you can get it, you can't take it off of that and put it on something else. So you will eventually start using rares and even just magic items as you level. Because you'll get a magic item that's just so much higher item power that it's like, I mean, I'm losing a lot by using this, but the damage is so much better. Or mm-hmm. it's it's just got the things that it has are just so much higher that I will use it until I get a new rare. And once you get a rare, you'll be looking at that going, okay, is this the one I want to stick that legendary power on? Or do I want to hold off? Because whilst this is already pretty good, once I put the legendary on it, that's it. It will not level past anymore, past a certain point. And I can't take it off again. This is a one-time deal. So you still need to get new drops. The system still provides obsolescence as you level. But it's not, it is absolutely not Diablo 3 where, you know, you just, like, I remember getting Thunder Fury four times. (laughs) As I was leveling up, like seriously, it was raining Thunder Furies at one point. Um, or or when you started getting like, there's that axe that drops um, up in Act Four. I want to say when you, when you're when you're heading past Bastion's Keep and you're about to go to heaven in that area, there was an axe that just kept dropping over and over again. The same legendary axe it even started dropping for my wife, and she was like, "I don't. I'm playing a demon hunter. I'm not going to use this thing. It's a two handed axe." I'm like, "Yeah, I just throw it in the pile." So yeah, it, it isn't that. It is not the D3 system, but it is not the D, D2 system either. You do not have to just try and figure out a way to kill the same guy 17 times to get a weapon. Uh, it, it is, it's it's very much a, it's a flexibility-based system where you, you, you take the things that you know you want to apply and you wait till you get something you know will last you a while and then you apply them to it. Uh, that, that was how I experienced it when I was doing it. Uh, Liz? It- it feels like a streamlined version of a lot of previous Diablo systems that has just filed the rough edges off of it without making it like, oh, this is super powerful and I'm going to get this one legendary affix and then I'm just going to apply it to all my gear and I'm going to be way over super, super powerful godlike and never have to get gear again. It's not It's not like that. I do think getting a legendary drop still feels really special. And it also feels special that it's like, oh my god, I built my whole kind of build concept around this legendary drop that I got 20 levels ago, but now it's really old and I can't get rid of it because everything is about this and I haven't seen anything else with this power. Well, yeah, you take the legendary affix off that and you put it on a new piece of gear. And then you're still going to have that same problem later. <laughs> but 
you know, you kick you, the can down the, road. the life. Yeah, you're kicking the can really as you're leveling. I mean, I imagine as you really get up into end game, as you get to level 100, you're going to be finding those pieces that are completely perfect, and you're going to be holding the perfect legendary affix to put on them when you get them. But while you're leveling, it's a it's a convenience thing, right? Because you can get a good affix and you can outlevel that gear and you can take the affix off and put it on like the next piece of really nice gear you get. So yeah. you get to keep playing instead of being like, oh man, I don't have a legendary in this slot. What am I going to do? I can't, I can't take yeah. this off, even though everything I get is better, except it doesn't have a legendary affix. You can just, you can keep using and advancing your gear. Yeah. I, one thing I'll also mention before we move on to the other two. Um, there's also a thing where you can basically end up, you can put the same affects on different types of gear. Like you can go on mm -hmm. a ring or a weapon or. So it's not type gated. It's not, it some is type gated, of, okay. but not some entirely. Of them, some of them are type gated. I, the main type gating seems to be weapons or armor. Yeah. Like uh, I've seen that there's, there's ones that go on weapons and rings and amulets. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's ones that go on your armor types, like helm, helm, mm -hmm. chest plate, what have you. But that means, like, say you have a really cool legendary ring, and you've you've gotten to the point where you just got a yellow ring that dropped. It's just so much better. It's got a socket. It's just like a maybe fifty item power higher. It's just a better ring. But you don't want to put this the, the ring's bonus on that ring. Because you have another ring bonus you've already got waiting for you. But you can put that ring bonus on one of your weapons. And you're not currently mm -hmm. using a legendary weapon. Now you'll essentially get a legendary weapon. And you'll get a legendary ring. Because you've got these things ready to go. Uh, and that's how the system can basically... You can mix and match to a degree where you put it. And because you can do that, you can end up with like some interesting combinations of abilities that originally you got as different slots entirely. Like, I remember I got a necklace that had this really cool ability that whenever I took damage to, that took me below healthy, I get a force bubble. Just a straight up oh. big force bubble would pop up around me. And I, I, amulet. Yeah. That I feel like you get that amulet and you use it absolutely as long as you possibly can. And then you take the affix off and then probably you just hold on to it until you're level 100 and you find like the perfect item to put it on. Because I don't think you're going to see that ever again. Yeah, it was very hard to like, I, I I didn't disenchant it, but I really wanted to because it was so much a part of my my play style. But getting to like what the blacksmith and jeweler do, they do a variety of things. Uh, both the blacksmith and the, and the jeweler do things like take, uh, they, they turn items that you get into like, re not resources. Yeah, no, we're crafting resources. Uh, the jeweler in particular can, can upscale your lower level gems as you get them. Mm -hmm. Like, and I don't, it's not like Diablo three where you basically kept getting higher and higher and higher and higher ones. It's only, it, only again, only I get to, like, it's only about level 50 stuff, but it doesn't get ridiculously upscale as fast as Diablo three did, but it does no, get upscale. Yeah. It felt like the gems actually scaled very slowly. Yeah. Like, um, You've got you've got your basic first tier gems, and then you've got your second tier gems. Those are not what they're called. That's just I don't remember exactly. Yeah, what each chipped tier is and called. then chipped and then cracked or something. I, I I remember that there was there. I don't remember the name. Either. And then you get your third tier gems, and those actually the third tier has a level requirement of forty. Yeah. So you actually have to be fairly you know almost halfway through the game before you get those third level of gems and get to that power level. Uh, I leveled to 54 and I didn't unlock anything past that level of gem. 
So I don't know what comes next or how far you have to go to get there. One thing that they did for gem crafting that I like is they brought back skulls from D2. Skulls are great. Yeah, skulls skulls are, skulls are one of those things that felt like it was, it was a flavor loss not having those in D3. Yeah, and now they're back, so you can stick skulls on things. Skulls tend to be really good in weapons, at least for me. Uh, playing on the Barbarian and the Druid, I felt I like I hear they're really good for thrones. Ones. Maybe. Uh, I didn't get that far yet. <laughs> <laughs> didn't have a throne yet. Uh, but uh, One day, one day. In general, uh, but the jeweler and blacksmith work pretty much like you're expecting them to. Uh, there's no weapon crafting for yeah. the blacksmith though you don't they don't make weapons for you what they do is you bring them a weapon it can be any weapon basically it can be a blue it can be a, a yellow it can be a legendary and you can say like here make this better and he can do that three times each time is a five item power jump now, and I, when it's a legendary it can be four times i i will jump in here to say at higher difficulty tiers you get an extra level of upgrade. Each yeah. difficulty tier you go up, there's another upgrade available. Yeah, I could only play the second tier. I didn't get yeah. to, to do any further. So like, it, maybe I should step back a second and say it, there are world tiers, which are your difficulty levels. And uh, Diablo 4 only has four world tiers. There are only four difficulty levels. There were like, there were a lot of difficulty levels in Diablo 3. There yeah, were D3 so had many. 16 at one point. Yeah. I mean, not even, not even, that's just kind of torments. That's not well, I mean, so, I mean, it seems like it's hitting like a midway point between D, D2 and D3 at that point then, right? It's much closer. It's much closer to D2. Yeah, because D2, D2 only had four, three. Yeah, I think they has, uh, D2 D goes had three. normal, uh, I forget, normal, hard, Normal, nightmare. hard, nightmare, I think that was it. Yeah, but this one actually has uh, one, two, three, and four. I think. Three is con Ad called Nightmare and Force, like Adventure, Veteran, Nightmare, and oh wow, what is the fourth one? I didn't unlock the fourth one either. Yeah, I just remember bad, really bad. Uh, it's it's the <laughs> hardest one, you know, whatever. But yeah, mm. that th those those are there's a lot of stuff that they do. Um, I it's a noticeable jump. I can just say this: it's a noticeable jump going from one to two. Mm. Like going from one to two means you play differently. Uh, one is the training wheels. I need to learn this game difficulty level. It gets harder as you go up, but it, it's still, it is the most basic. Uh, torment. Two, yeah. Torment. Ah, okay, yeah. That was the fourth one. Indeed. Right. I'm sure, I'm sure it will be after the difficulty I saw in world tier three. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's, there's the, the world tier stuff is important. Should we just cover that or, or do you think we're done? Well, with yeah, no, I was actually, here? I was actually going to go into that because oh. this seems like a natural transition, right? Um, because Diablo 4 is supposed to be an open world game, but it is going to have uh, dungeons and uh, things for you to go in and explore. So what is open world content like and what is, I don't want to say closed world, but what are the instanced content that you've experienced like, like the dungeons and things like that? So real good transition there for, for those types of uh, things. Liz, you want to go or you want me to go? Well, actually, I would say the majority, the vast majority of the game is open world. It's full, you know, the towns are shared persistent space. The open world is a shared persistent space. They do seem I don't know what phrase they use for this, but they do seem to shard things very heavily to where you aren't just wandering around sanctuary and, oh, there's like 
a thousand heroes right here waiting for this event to start. You never see tons of people, but you do see people wandering around everywhere. And cities are pretty populated. So um, a lot of the content is open world. There are big open world events where you'll just be wandering by and, oh, there's an orange marker on your map. There's an event. There are in uh, Nightmare Mode and Up, there are Helltide Zones, which kind of reminds me of, uh, what are they called in Diablo 2 Resurrected? The Terror Zones? Yeah, Terror, terror Zones, zone. yeah. It's just, uh, it kind of rotates through zones, and in one zone is a Helltide Zone, and it's super harder. It drops better gear, and it drops these uh, crystal things that you can collect, and you can use them to open chests, which give you really good gear. But if you die in a Helltide Zone... You lose half of those of that currency you collect, and Helltide Zones are only available for a limited time. And when they're gone, all of your currency is gone. So you kind of have to really focus on them and uh, head for those chests and collect everything you need before time runs out. Uh, and all of that is open world. You can run into the Fields of Hatred, which are PvP zones, open world. You're going to find other players there. The real instance content is dungeons and cellars. Um, Cellars are just kind of like little tiny mini dungeons. And I mean like really mini, like I mean you walk in and there's like one monster encounter, not like a big boss. It's just like, yeah, here's a monster. Crowd one time it was a butcher. Uh, I went to the pe- I went to a cellar and there's a butcher waiting for me. I was like, I'm back out of here. Nope. <laughs> uh and and then dungeons are completely instanced. Uh, I thought dungeons were really fun. So uh, I want to step real quick and just kind of highlight something before we go into dungeons. So the world itself is persistent, which was a massive change from previous Diablo games. Yes, it is. And that's something I think the listeners, we should highlight, right? Um, Because everything else, the towns were... Uh, persistent in all the previous Diablos, but the world map itself and dungeons were procedurally generated. So this is a huge mm-hmm. departure. Well, I mean, for one thing, uh, one of the, we were looking at the other day in, in work chat, we were looking at the various maps of the actual zones you see in previous Diablo games. And if you took all of the previous Diablo games in terms of the amount of zones, not counting Diablo Immortal, obviously, but if you put all the the content, the, the space that you actually explore in D in Diablo, Diablo two, Diablo three, put it all together. It's like not even a quarter of Diablo four. Like a lot of that procedurally generated stuff was stuff that you you know it was only it was stuff on the way to a place. Like it was the the oasises and so forth. There's there's just so much more here that if it wasn't persistent, I don't know if that it would ma- it would work. Uh, that's that's my first thought on it. The second thought on it is that. In a lot of ways, um, the 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 storytelling here is rooted in that open world. Mm-hmm. Like it's it, it's something I, I mentioned uh, somewhere. <laughs> I'm talking about it as you know because I've been talking about the game forever, like with everybody who will listen to me for even five seconds. The the way it it, it tells a story, it it reminds me of a Bethesda game sometimes Mm. like in terms of that like you come to a place and you find some journal entries and then oh hey smears of blood on the ground i wonder if this got anything to do with that journal entry about being hungry for flesh that might that might be related to something well we talked about this before it's 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 literally leaning into the world as a character right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, very much and the environmental design of diablo 4 is outstanding it's incredible 
They have put so much detail into the design of the world. And even the tiny little NPCs you meet along the way, the tiny details and scenery, you know, you'll walk into, like, if you walk into the Cathedral of Light in Kovashad, Kiovashad, um, it's like there's this carpet, this red carpet with gold, like gold threading in it. And it's like the thread, like sparkles, it like reflects the light. And it's, in Kiovashad, this is like, the carpet is completely smooth and wrinkle-free. It's like someone has been maintaining this carpet and keeping it perfect because this is the big cathedral. But if you go to Corvalar, it has kind of these same kind of red carpets with the gold, except at the front of the room, they're kind of rumpled and they're covered in mud because it has these soldiers tramping in and out to go uh, to go and and uh, do their thing inside this little chapel. So it like these little tiny details that build this place as a world, not just like, okay, well, this is going to be another castle. We'll stamp that out. We'll use these textures we used in all the other castles, and then we'll yeah. uh, drop a carpet there. You know, there are just all of these little things if you go, if you start looking for them. The first dungeon you do, the absolute first dungeon you do, it, which is very much just getting you an idea of what dungeons are going to be like. Mm. Uh, this is before you even, this is way before you meet Lorath. This is this is super early. That's uh, uh, Nevesk, the one outside yeah. Nevesk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you're doing that, one of the things I noticed was that it's set up in an explorable way that you will not see again. Mm-hmm. You will not see that layout again. You'll see similar layouts, but there's never a layout like this dungeon again, because this is the dungeon that's introducing you to dungeons. All the dungeons that come after, they tend to have a more elaborate and often branching structure to them. So this one's this one's literally a go from A to B to C to D you're at the end. Now you go out. Clar- clarification other- on the dungeon stuff real quick, I guess. So the dungeons themselves as well are also, uh, they're not procedurally generated. They're, they're, they exist. I, they're I not- think they, I think they are procedurally generated. Some of them okay. to an extent, to I, an may- extent, not to the extent they have been before. I think the mobs might be procedurally generated, like in terms of where they are and what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I mean, some of them are definitely persistent. Yeah, in terms some of, of them are layout. static. Uh, some of them, particularly ones involved in the story, um, are definitely straightforward. So, do we think? Just send you. So, is it a, a mix then? So, like, story or key ones are always located in the same place and have, and from what we've seen so far. And again, clarification: this is what has been experienced so far. Uh, the game obviously hasn't released yet. We are, we are about a week away from it at the time of this recording. Uh, so those tend to be present. You know, you can find them. You know where they are, and then the layout of them tends to be, at least from your experience, fairly static. And the other ones, have you experienced? Are they all like in the same location, or can a random dungeon pop up? And I guess the question is, I'm wondering how that works if it is with a persistent world state. I don't so think dungeons, there's any... Go, go ahead, Liz, I'm sorry. Dungeons are always in the same place. Dungeons okay. and cellars are always in the same place in the world. You know where to find them, and you can... Uh, if you mouse over them, you will see for 
uh, for dungeons, you mouse over them, you'll see what the rewards are. You'll see what aspect you can get. Yeah, um, like if if this dungeon is going to give you something for like a sorcerer or for a yeah. bar, like a barbarian or a druid or whatever, you'll you'll know immediately. Okay, I want to hit this one right now because I'm on a barbarian and I want to get that thing. Or you know, my druid could really use this, so I'm going to go do it now. And in later levels, you'll also you can mouse over the dungeon and you'll see how many. Um, rewards from the from the tree of whispers you'll get because uh later later levels you'll unlock the tree of whispers which is kind of a world quest system and you'll be able you can collect rewards from that as well you'll see that just by mousing over the dungeon on the map yeah but i also i think we should talk about the fact that um we mentioned that there's cellars or crypts and you can sometimes they're like crypts sometimes like little caves sometimes they're people's basements I think they're uh, all called cellars, though. I think they yeah. just use that as a generic term there. But when you when you go in them, there's like a. It, it's very similar to like when you were in Diablo three, and you were in uh, West March, and you'd go into a building, and there'd mm-hmm. be something in the building. It was it's similar to that, or similar to Act One of D three, where you'd just be wandering through the the forest, heading towards the graveyard, and suddenly you'd see like a hatch, and you'd go in the hatch, and there'd be something. Mm-hmm. It, it's yeah. very much like that, but dungeons are more complicated. Obviously, there's there's like actual encounters, and there's a lot of space in them. Uh, I've I've some of them are like huge. I, I remember doing one in Act Three where you are going through this repository, and it's like this monastery, and you just keep going and going, and there's just more of it. It's really big. Um, but we haven't talked about strongholds, which I think are some of the most interesting content. Uh, Liz did strongholds before I did. I did a couple more afterwards. Um, do you want to talk about your first yeah. time doing a stronghold? Well, let's let's Liz? what is a stronghold? Let's start with that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, stronghold. It's kind of like a dungeon. It is. You go into the stronghold. It's a private space. It's just you and members of your party that are going to be there. So it's a little like a dungeon. But the really cool twist about strongholds is you go and you run through the stronghold, you clear it out, and you beat the boss at the end. Then that stronghold turns into something else. The stronghold is gone. Now it's like a town or something. It's like, okay, I've gone and I've cleared all the demons out of this place, and now people have come back. Now it's turned into a village. Now you have vendors and you have side quests here. Maybe you have a dungeon that's unlocked by clearing out this stronghold. And it's a really interesting thing that you can go in and really change the world by clearing out those strongholds. Yeah, and it's like, for your character, this character will never do that stronghold again because it's done. Yeah. You you completed it. but your other characters can do it. Um, it's really interesting because not just because of the stuff Liz was talking about, I, although I think the dungeon thing is also really cool, but because now this becomes, as you are running through sanctuary, before you get to act four and mounts, which we'll talk about you're a lot of times you are trying to figure out the path of least resistance and cleared mm-hmm. strongholds are a way for you to create a place where if stuff is getting rough out there, but you don't want to teleport back to a town because there's no towns near where you're trying to go, that cleared stronghold is a is a godsend because you can just stop there and you can just sit down. I got to go, you know, since this is an always on world, you can't pause the game. Yeah. And if you need to go to the bathroom, a cleared stronghold is often like, ah, yay. Now sit here. I'm going to go go do real things for a second. You know, so it's- that's something I liked about it, too. It's exactly like a town. Some of them even have way, way, way stones, way points in them. Um, like Taldura. Yeah, did you clear Taldura? 
did you clear Toldura in Skosglen? Yes, I did. I did. I did the one in Skosglen. It's yeah. actually really hard to do because of how distant everything is. That's the other thing mm-hmm. is that strongholds are in different spaces. They have the same basic kind of gameplay loop, but they can be complicated because they the size of the area can vary. The one she's talking about in Skosglen is 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 big. And it has a lot of like places you have to jump around to. It's into. twisty. It's yeah. twisty, and there are lots of places you have to climb or jump over in order to get where you're going. Whereas the one uh, in the Fractured Peaks, I think there's actually two in the Fractured Peaks. The one that I remember three. more. There are three. There are three in each zone. Yeah, the one the one that I remember from the Fractured Peaks is close to. It's got some like a barbarian tribe near it, and it's uh-huh. it, it's smaller. So it's easier to get from point A to point B to point C. But when you get to the the, the boss, he tends to be in the middle of this this open area, and there's just stuff everywhere that, that try to keep you from getting to him. And it's it's really interesting. But yeah, I, I it's I, I remember the one you're talking about. I know I did the one you're talking about. I don't remember if I did the other because, ones in Skosglen. Yeah, that's the only one I did in Skosglen. Uh, I mean, they do have some interesting mechanics. I didn't clear all of them. I probably cleared four or five of them. And... Um, the the one I remember in Fractured Peaks, it was, okay, this town is, like, overrun with, like, ice and snow, and you're going in, and you're finding these frozen villagers, you find journal entries of people who lived here, and you're finding uh, Kazra, is that what you call yeah, them? Yeah, Kazra, Kazra, Goatman. And there's a big boss in the center kind of under this like protective thing. And you've got to go all around and clear out all the Kazra. And then there are three Kazra shaman on different platforms. And you have to go up to the platforms and fight through everything up there. A big crowd of mobs, which removes the shield from the shaman and you can fight them. And then you go to do the same on the next platform and you go do the same on the third platform. And then the shield drops around the big boss and you have to fight him and he's terrible (laughs) that was one of the few times i actually died on my necromancer was that fight because he is slamming down these frost things these like circles of frost on the ground and if they if you're standing in one you will freeze and then he will hit you while you are frozen that's bad for your health bad for your health (laughs) he was he was not a lot of fun and uh he can fill the floor with them it was uh, it's it was a really challenging encounter and Diablo boss encounters in dungeons, in strongholds, in every content, they're they're a lot thinkier. You have to plan. You have to work around the boss's abilities. It's not like I remember in Diablo 1 and Diablo 2, it's kind of the strategy for any boss was to go up and hit it a bunch and and drink health potions while you did that. Yeah, you might kite it, but mostly you're going up and hitting it and you're drinking health potions. And that's kind of that's kind of the whole thing. Well, there were already had, here. some like for for like characters like Ball. There were like there were on certain difficulty levels. There was okay. What you need is this much lightning resistance, and you need to build. You know, so but yeah. But I mean, um, to be to be fair, that's kind of where they were already headed, right? Like so, like when you start looking yeah. at Diablo three, Diablo three, we we made this comment when we we were playing it uh, when it first released is that bosses, even mini bosses started feeling closer to almost raid encounters with the level of mechanics yeah. or, or things yeah. that you had to deal with or plan for or, or deal or work around and not as a bad thing, right? We weren't talking, we weren't saying it was a bad thing. It made those, those bosses more involved and a lot better than just, I have enough poison resist that I can just beat, you know, uh, Andariel down. Um, yeah. So I think that's, that's good to hear, but I do want to, I want to, 
now that we, I want to transition to something else here because you guys touched on this something. Is, Sorry, go ahead. This may be a good point to jump into. Maybe you were heading this way already. World bosses. I was already going to talk are, about that. <laughs> uh, let's go. Let's go. So well, there, we've only gotten to see one of them, unfortunately. Well, there's there's two things that I think that are really important here. So one, I want to talk about, um, or I want to ask you about the sense of exploration because it feels like strongholds, world bosses immersive uh, or emerge emerging content and experiences really reward you for that exploration of Diablo uh, oh, 4's yeah. world. So yeah. let's talk about that. And, you know, maybe that first time you came across the world boss and how that felt like. Well, we knew that uh. the first time I came across the world boss was during the, the testing, the, the, uh, yeah. the service slam. And I knew where they were going to be. Um, it's it. They, we, they wanted us to go test it. But yeah. I still managed to ride face first into it. <laughs> Not ride, walk, but you know, I, I still managed to walk face first into it. So that was that was an experience. Um I can never remember the name. I want to say Ashara. It's not Ashara. Ashara. Ashava. Ashava. Yeah. Ashava. Ashava the pestilent. Ashava is a big, really messed up, kind of gooey dragon. I don't know how else to, to put this. It's like I, the Diablo version of Galakrond. It's yeah. giant and it's vaguely dragon-like and it's going to devour you. And its stuff is it. falling off it, which is actually kind of unpleasant. Um, but but man, that that is you talk about things as raid encounters. I've I've said it before and I'll say it again. It felt like a Dark Souls boss. Like like if you played Dark Souls 2 or or Demon Souls or Bloodborne, very similar in terms of timing it. You need to really be on top of timing it. Oh, don't yeah. don't use your evade button just because it's fun and go you go we don't don't do that. Hold on to it. Hold on to it until you need it because they are going to like what Liz was saying about the the boss in the stronghold who puts the ice things on the floor everywhere. It's like that except you're underneath a giant dragon so you can barely even see it. So it's like get out of this. Uh, hit that button mm -hmm. and go. Um, so yeah, I would say that much. I didn't get. I actually never managed to successfully kill Lashava. Uh, okay, straight up, I, tried tried like six times. Yeah, I tried. I tried like seven times, and seventh time was the charm for me. Um, yeah, Ashava, it really does feel like a raid encounter, and you have to learn all of the strategies. You have to be on top of dodging this. Diablo 4 in general is not a game where you can let things hit you. You yeah. just can't. Even you just you don't have, want that to happen. Well, yeah, because you've got stuff like uh, damage resistance or thorns or whatever, you still don't want things to hit you as much as you can avoid it. Well, I was going to uh, say, it, it also like, feels like, uh, I don't think we talked about that either, because, like, and maybe that's the next step we go into is how uh, health potions and, and health regeneration has changed, because that's. Uh, that's probably relevant after we're done with uh, this particular segment. Yeah. 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 I mean, all of the bosses, it's like one of the big things is you've got an evasion button now. You've got a button to evade and you press that and you roll out of the way. You roll out of the way real fast and it has a cooldown. And you can also find boots that give you plus one evasion charge. And when you find those boots... You hold on to them until you find another higher item level pair of boots with plus one evasion charge because that is so good. That is yeah. like the most powerful ability possibly in the entire game. You want that second evasion charge because this is this is a game about dodging things. This is about dodging powerful demonic attacks that will one-shot you in many cases. Um, 
like Ashava had several attacks and you just you learn them as you died a lot. And you know, it would reach out and like do this chomping bite right in front of it. And it's telegraphed well. You can kind of see Ashava like kind of going back and getting ready to like reach forward and grab someone in its mouth. But if you if you get hit by that, you're just dead. There's not, you don't have time to use a potion. You don't, if you hit, if you get hit by it, you're dead. Nothing, nothing around it. And Ashava's biggest attack was a big circular thing where it reached out a claw wing thing and just swung it around in a full 360 around it doing, and if you were in between Ashava and kind of where it was scraping up the ground, you would take huge damage as well as poison damage. And on world tier one, I was able to survive this if I chugged like three potions at the same time, because it does poison damage and it just, it just eats you up. It just eats through your health pool. So it's always about dodging and finding a good position because you could kind of, if you got really close to a Shava and kind of like under its back legs, you were usually pretty safe because you were close enough in, you wouldn't get hit by that circular attack. You weren't in front of it to be bitten. You weren't in front of it when it spit poison. You were pretty safe there. But a Shava moved around a lot. So you had to kind of keep adjusting and keep getting yourself into an advantageous position. And it's just... You've got to be on top of it. It's a lot like a WoW raid boss fight. You've got to be on top of it. And if you if you mess up even once, that's enough. You're done. You're dead. You're at the graveyard. You're running back. Yeah, there's no tanking and no healing. So all of that stuff is on you. Uh, I will say that when I was playing my Barbarian as opposed to the Rogue or, or Druid that I played, the Barbarian, to me, felt tankier. But I deliberately made my build such that I was getting damage resistance and little heals off. Um, and still, you you can't stand there for very long. But the barbarian could stay there a lot longer than, say, a rogue could. The rogue would die almost instantly. The barbarian could take two or three hits. Um, but in general, uh, since you asked about potions, potions start off. You start off with a with a health potion thing. It's four, I believe you start the game with four charges. I think so. And yeah. it's as you level up, um, you don't do anything. The charges just go up at certain levels. Like you'll have five charges, then six charges. I think. Um, like mid forties or at you, six charges, you unlock more charges by earning renown. Oh, I was doing that. So yeah. Okay. It was, it, it's the renown either way, you know, you, you don't do anything but unlock this thing. You don't have to go to anywhere to get more charges, but you do have to go to the alchemist to get them to, to increase the, the power of the potions. Yeah, every like, ten, every ten to fifteen levels, yeah, you can ten go levels, to the alchemist and yeah. upgrade your potion. I think it goes when you go like you go from ten to twenty. That's that's one upgrade. Twenty to thirty. That's the second upgrade. But then the next one's forty-five, and then the one after then, that is sixty. Yeah. So yeah. You, so you that you have to do. You have to manually go to the alchemist and say, "Hey, I just leveled. Uh, buff up my my potions because uh, if I still have the level one." versions at level 30 i'm gonna be having a bad time <laughs> but the the other stuff is from renown we should talk about renown oh i should just yeah, say I, there's no there's nothing else to be done for potions like it, you can't do what you do in like diablo 2 where you just have tons of potions mm -hmm. and they they just you just have them and you go out and get them and you have more and you can just chug them that is gone that's not here it also doesn't have diablo 3's thing of you hit a potion 
and you wait and then you can hit the potion again, you can use all of your potion charges if you want to. Like if you are yeah. somehow in a position where you have six and the boss does something that's going to kill you and you, it's like got a poison like, thing. Like a whole lot of poison and you yeah. need to like heal a whole lot really fast before the poison kills you. Yeah, yeah. I've done you, that. You done can that. do that. Uh, once you do that though, you're basically at the mercy of the game to give you more po- more potion things on the ground that you can go run over and then get oh. charges back. Okay. I, that, it's pretty similar to other games in that regard though. Um. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, actually, I mean, you don't get potion. You don't do that, do you? Not by yeah. running over things. You've got to go back. You've got to go back to town and visit a healer. You have to find a healing well yeah. to get your recharges. No. no, if they drop on the ground, you can get them. I mean, necromancers have their. Oh, you're right. You're right. I'm no. I'm mixing this up. And necromancers have blood orbs that. Yeah, they necromancers can... make it super complicated. But I mean, for yeah, everybody necro- else, necromancers yeah. make everything super complicated. Blood orbs that just heal you. Um, yeah, you're right. I remember doing a lot of bosses and it's like, okay, I'm burning through these potion charges and you're just waiting to hit something and a health potion falls out. Yeah, you're just hoping. Uh, Like, the best part of when you're in that situation, you actually get excited to see trash mobs. Because you're like, (laughs) yeah, more chances for potions. Uh, But yeah, basically that's the only way in game. There's, there's are every so often there's healing wells. They're almost never in the fight area. But no, a lot, I will a lot of times say, they'll be in front of the fight area. I will say frequently, if you see a healing well on the other, down the end of that corridor or on the other side of that door, there is probably a boss encounter. Almost yep. certainly. Almost certainly. Yeah, absolutely. When you see a healing well in a dungeon, this means the dungeon is telling you, this is it. You should click me if you're below on potion charges. It's like the old school uh, '90s when you found the room full of ammo and health upgrades before. Uh, yeah, uh, in, yes. in, in Doom before turning around the corner. Yeah, yeah. If you find yeah, if you find a whole bunch of chests or a healing well, just kind of in a room, and there's a corridor going, there is something at the end of that corridor that is going to step on your head. So <laughs> so get ready for it. Uh, but but besides all that, because we've we've talked about that for a fair amount, you'd asked about exploration stuff and we haven't really talked about uh renown or the altars of lilith so i think we should probably talk about that. yeah i would agree um, so let's 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 talk about that so like how does renown work so people it this is not going to be an uncommon word for anybody who plays like world of warcraft right we've had renown levels for a while there uh we know how that system works how does renown work in diablo 4 I mean, it's basically just a reputation system. There's a renown track for each zone, and they're the same. Everyone is the same. Uh, it has five levels, and it's like you get this much renown, and you unlock some gold, you unlock an extra skill point. You get this much renown, you unlock some more gold, and you get an extra potion slot. More renown, you get um, more gold and another skill point. And then the two last levels of renown in each zone are locked behind the higher difficulty levels involved doing things in nightmare or torment difficulty. So I did not get a chance to unlock any of those last two, but the first three, really good. It's definitely worth your time to go and grind out the first three renown levels in each zone because you will get an extra 10 talent points and an extra five potion slots. That is huge. That is Mm -hmm. just a huge amount of power. Absolutely. And 
And when you log into an alt, you have that unlocked already. You have those extra talent slots. You roll a new alt and it's like, oh, I'm starting with 10 talent points instead yep. of having to level through them. Oh, I'm starting with 10 potions or nine potions. I don't have to, I don't have to earn them because you already did that. Yeah, my first six levels as a druid, I felt like a god. <laughs> because I started off with like a six or seven talent points to, to buy things with. So when you start off in your very first character, you will be waiting a while before you, I think it's like you're going to spend at least two points before you can even go over and get a core attack ability. Yeah, like you'll you'll have like, to get basic, at least two, two ranks in basic to head over and get a core ability. Whereas this, the next character you play, no, you'll if you've done the renown system, if you, you know, have much at all. Yeah, you, you can basically just jump over and get a core ability immediately, and it makes a huge difference. Um, so yeah, Renown is, is actually something... You talked before about like exploration rewarding you. Renown is a, is a good way to, to explain that one of the ways the game does that. The Altars of Lilith, are they also track your... Like, they, they're account-wide as well? Yes. Um, let's take a step different. back and ex what is an, what and is an altar what of Lilith? Yeah. Uh, there, it's as you're wandering around the world, there are little statues of Lilith holding a red crystal, you know, just peacefully standing there. And if you go up and click on it, you will get an account wide reward. It's a small reward, usually like two skill points in something, like, oh, two extra strength for every character on this account. Oh, two extra intellect. But there are like 30 of them in each zone. That starts adding up. And each one you find, you get a tiny little bit of renown for. Uh, and generally, you get renown by just doing stuff in the zone. You find Altars of Lilith. You complete strongholds. You do quests. You do dungeons. You do side quests. You uh, explore. Exploration, exploring the entire zone will give, you more will give you more renown. Unlocking waypoints gives you renown. So you are really encouraged to explore, particularly for those altars of Lilith, because they are all in hidden, out-of-the-way places. Basically, if you see, like, if, if you're at, like, a fork in the road, and one direction goes somewhere, and one direction doesn't go anywhere, it's like, you can, you like, glance over that direction, and it's, like, clearly a dead end, and you can see on the map that there's nothing on the other side, there's probably an altar of Lilith there. So... It really encourages you to get into every little nook and cranny of the world to find all of these things. Yeah, and I will also say this. The the thing that they've done with these zones, like the, the, the zones that you explore as you're going through the game, like they don't feel even remotely samey. And they don't feel samey within themselves. Like Fractured Peaks is pretty much cold. It's cold everywhere. It's a big wintry mountainy area, but there's parts of it that are like further down and they have towns and they feel much more settled. And then when you head North in the, in the place, it starts to feel really forbidding and inhospitable. Like, you know, this is not a place living things are intended to be mm -hmm. like, it's just, and like when you go to Scotland, it's got swampy marsh areas. It's got high, you know, rugged, you know, you know, high to heath type places. And, and then as you head towards the dry steps, it gets it gets sparser, and the grass starts to turn into like you know, okay, this place is pretty parched out, and it it just kind of gradually moves into uh, the dry steps. So like it goes from like it goes from like swamp and forest to let's, desert slowly. Let's break in here a little bit too, because I think this is another good opportunity for another related segue. 
uh, exploring the world isn't just done on foot anymore like it has been in previous Diablo games. Uh, every Diablo game that has existed has been uh, steadily increasing the speed with which you can traverse the world, uh, culminating with Diablo 4 now introducing mounts to sort of help you get around. Have, mm-hmm. Can you explain how mounts integrate, how you unlock them, if you know it, or was it already given to you? Uh, and how it changes sort of that feeling, like, let's say, compared to uh, we can go Diablo one where you couldn't there wasn't even a run button uh, Diablo two, where you could run for a little while. If you had the stamina Diablo three, where everything was running all of the time uh, to, to now where, you know, we just get on a horse. Well, it isn't just well, get on a horse. Most of the game, you don't have the horse. Yeah, you can only unlock the horse at level 40. You'll unlock it just naturally by going through the story campaign at the beginning of Act 4. There are six acts in the game. At the beginning of Act 4, you will unlock your horse and you can start riding places. Uh, I, I, you're, you're moving very fast. That's the whole yeah. thing. Kind of, you know, it's, it's still a Diablo game. The world is packed with demons and unfriendly animals and so many bandits. You would think the bandits would learn better because whenever I run into them, I slaughter all of them, but they keep coming back. I don't know why, but they're always there. There are so many of them everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere much, you turn. Yeah, pretty much. But banditry, I honestly think some of the bandits are already on their way to like turning into some other kind of monster based on <laughs> the sheer amount of them out there. But hmm. um, banditry is pre- either is very, very financially rewarding or literally there's no other jobs. And so you might as well be a bandit. Maybe you're a bandit on the weekends. I don't know. But like, it, it reminded me a lot of, I remember when you were playing world of warcraft when you first played it yeah. and you couldn't get a mount till like level 40 and it was the yeah. slow mount but you yeah. still felt like you could go anywhere now because you could yeah. actually you could run by mobs and they might not catch up to you to hit you yeah it's kind of like that um i've seen people get dismounted i know that it can happen but you still feel like i gotta go and you just start racing i had just I... gotten my mount uh, mm-hmm. and that's as far as i got um, mm-hmm. I didn't get to keep going because real life decided I should actually have to deal with it. But yeah, yeah, but there was there's like that sense of you know it does feel the very first time you're riding it, it feels like you're going super fast. Like you feel like you're oh yeah, like you're you know you're hearing Doc Brown yell about gigawatts in the background. Sorry, gigawatts <laughs> in the background. But you can still be dismounted. You you do want to play it a little careful. But yeah, like you can get from you can get from the fractured peaks to like all the way to the dry steps or like down to, Oh, bloody heck. Hazawar. 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 I, I don't yeah. think I'm saying that right. The swamp yeah. that plays yeah. with swamps. Yeah. It can get, you can get from one of these places to another pretty fast. Uh, it, it is definitely, it does take adjustment, but it doesn't really change the game that much. Like, because think- a lot of the game is, is based around, even if you ride to it on a Mount, mm-hmm. you're still going to get off the Mount and start killing things. Yeah. That was my, my I- take on it. I think the biggest thing about mounts, I I jumped into the thing about mobs, is that sometimes you're playing the game and you just don't want to deal with it. You know, it's like, I'm trying to get to this stronghold over here so I can kill all the demons in it. I'm trying to get to this quest objective over here. I don't want to kill every random demon between me and my quest objective. And now you can get on your horse and ride there. It does seem this is like a, this mobs... Is a, this is a Carbots episode waiting to happen. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It, it does seem like mobs are less likely to pay attention to you if you ride by on a mount. You're just, I guess you're just going past them so fast that they're like, oh, what? And they 
you're gone. Yeah. By the time they all- by the time they come to get you, you're not there. I think is what. Yeah, which I mean, it, it, it fits in the the concept of what like a predator would do in real life. I mean, mm-hmm. if a pre- is a predator going to go after the thing that can outrun it or the thing that's slower than the thing that can outrun it? <laughs> But you also have a sprint ability. So it's like, oh, no, I see some moms here. I'm just going to sprint past them. Uh, you have, I believe you have three charges of that, that re that recharge over time. Your horse can get frightened if you run through too many mobs. So it's like not so much about the mobs hitting you as it is your horse like freaking out and being like, I'm out of here. So you Dude, there that. are so many skeletons. You cannot just ride <laughs> me through skeletons. I too, too have accidentally. I too have accidentally ridden my horse into the Bokoblin camp. Uh. <laughs> yes, it is similar to that. Yeah. But you kind of you kind of learn the ins and outs of it, and you can make it large distances just without. You know, it's like I don't feel like dealing with all these mobs right now. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to deal with those snake people. I just don't. I hate them. I'm just going to ride past them and go to another zone. Uh, but. Even with mounts, I feel like the most efficient way to travel is by using the waystones. Are they called waystones? I keep waypoints, calling them I think. Waypoints. Yeah. Because those will just instantly transport you from one town to another. So you really, you want to collect those waypoints because you can't access them immediately. You have to go to the place where the waypoint is and like click on it. And then you can travel to that waypoint from anywhere. Literally anywhere. Yeah, like there will be one waypoint once you get it that you will default to in a zone. It's usually in the biggest city. It's which it's makes sense. It's like it's, city. so it's like it's like the uh, how Diablo two and Diablo three have the 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 waypoint or the the yeah, uh, yeah. It's the, yeah it is waypoint the waypoint in the main city yeah yeah it's it's similar um it works fine the only like the only downside is as Liz pointed out you have to get to it so if you've mm-hmm. not been to that area it was really funny because. I feel like I can talk about this now. Uh, at level 15, certain classes get their class quests. Yeah. I think everyone gets it. You know 15, what? So, well, hold, hold on yes. a second. Let's, let's, because that is a segue too, and that's something we want to cover. <laughs> um, the classes in general. So, before you start going into the level 15 thing, let's just talk about classes and how they play. Um, Matt, I know you probably made eight barbarians because that's what you do. It's just you, you roll a character and all of a sudden it multiplies. Well, yeah, because there were multiple tests, so I ended up doing a couple barbarians per. So I did, in fact, have something like eight or ten of them by the end. And I know you played druid a little bit as well. I Um, played druid to, like, level 20 and rogue to level 12, I think. Liz, what did you focus on when you were playing? You played everything. Uh, I have played everything up to at least level 20. I've gotten my necromancer got to level 54 and my druid was 36 or 37 by the end. So I was, I was all over the map, but uh, going, going hard on that necromancer and the druid, I started playing the druid purely because people on the internet were talking about how bad druids were. And I'm like, well, I, I got to play this class now. And druid's actually pretty great. I, that warms my heart because I mean I'm a hardcore <laughs> druid stand for life. Uh, so let's let's talk about the. I guess the first twenty levels are probably the most important, uh, and I say that because when people are playing a game like Diablo, the early levels really sort of inform whether or not you're going to enjoy that class or the game. Mm-hmm. And maybe twenty five or, or or at this point somewhere in that range, right? Because uh, so how do these classes play to you? So. Liz, what was your standout class? 
Um, I definitely like the Necromancer. Um, I, I enjoy pet classes, and Necromancer is like the pet class. You can surround yourself with a dozen skeletons, and it's just like, okay, skeletons, do my bidding. And actually, one of the things I really like about the skeletons is if you stand still, they will form themselves in a circle around you. They'll form themselves in a perfect circle around you. And it's like, yes, my defensive, my defensive cordon of skeletons. Excellent. So um, the, I guess real quick, because necromancer is a real interesting topic that I know we get, we get asked a lot about and I've seen a bunch mm-hmm. of tweets about it. How does it feel compared to like Diablo two and Diablo three? It's been too long since I've played Diablo two to really make a comparison. Um, We can go with Diablo three. Like, <sighs> But do they feel similar? Do we feel like Diablo 3 was maybe a test run for Diablo 4 Necromancer? Or does it feel completely it, different and unique? I honestly felt like a lot of... A, Diablo 4 feels very strongly informed by Diablo 3. Uh, the first class I played when the betas started rolling in was a rogue. And it's like the rogue in Diablo 4. This is not just like a demon hunter. This is not just... You can spec it like a demon. This is a demon hunter. It even has skills that have the same name. Necromancer in Diablo 3 and Necromancer in Diablo 4 also have some of the same skills with the same names that work in the same way. It's just the overall design of the thing, the way you advance through talents, the way you customize your abilities, that is hugely different, but they can play very similarly depending on how you build them. I feel like the Necromancer in Diablo 4 is way, way, way heavier on pets. That's such a core part of the class. Uh, Goodbye, Corpse Explosion. I mean, I'm sure it's still there. (laughs) Oh, it is still there, and it's super powerful still. Um, But uh, this is a good point to get into. Each class, you know, beyond they have their own talents and skills and their own talent trees that are totally different, but each class has a unique feature that only that class has. For the Necromancer, that's Book of the Dead. And Book of the Dead, it's, it's basically a menu of minions that you can choose from that, uh, you know, you get more of them over the levels. And it's like, you can say, okay, I start out with some skeletons and then my Book of the Dead advances. And it's like, okay, I can say, I want, you know, a warrior skeleton that's going to sit there with a shield and defend me. I want a reaper skeleton that has a scythe and will slice corpses. <laughs> off of enemies so I can use more corpse explosion. So of course that's that's just the one you use, right? That's what you use all the time because corpse explosion. Or you eventually you unlock mages, which can do frost or shadow damage. Or eventually you can just decide, mm, you know, I kind of over the minion thing. I'm going to sacrifice my minions for power. And you can do things like, uh, depending on the type of minions you sacrifice, you can get something, you could get 20% crit by sacrificing and just not having your skeletons. You can get some pretty big buffs and you choose what minions you have out, what types of minions they are, what types of damage they do. And you can also choose to say, "Mm, no minions for me. I just want that delicious power. All right, Matt. Well, I mean, for the rogue, I could only tell you about combo points because that's the only one I got. Um, which is combo Rogues. points. Rogues actually feels like the least interactive special feature. It's called specializations, and it's kind of a pile of little things that just basically say, okay, you're going to do more damage. Yeah, you're roguier now. You've, you've yeah. learned some roguishness. <laughs> you've become roguey. And really, it's like, so why is my roguiness 
so demon huntery. It's the same thing, whatever. <laughs> but the the uh, barbarian, which is the one I really focused on, has basically the the arsenal system, which comes into a couple of different ways. The basic framework of the arsenal system is that you wander around with every weapon you could possibly carry. Yeah, it seems about right. I got two mm, one-handed so weapons. I got one two-handed mace, and I got one two-handed pokey stabby slicey. It can be a sword, an axe, or a, a polearm. So I'll you, say, let me cut in to say mo- other classes, it's just like, okay, I'm going to wield a two-handed weapon, or I'm going to wield a one-handed weapon. Yeah. And that's, that's it. Like, that's this, all. This looks like it might hurt somebody. I'm going to carry it around, and I'm, I'm sure I'll <laughs> find a reason to hit someone with it sooner or later. So that's the basic. At level one, you start off with that. At level five, you begin unlocking something called the weapon expertise feature. And the first thing that you do, you notice about the weapon expertise feature is that you don't do anything. There's, there's <laughs> nothing, there's nothing you do about this. It just happens. And it's what you basically gain ranks in the various weapon techniques of the, of the weapon that you're using. So let's say you've got an ax in one hand and a sword in the other hand for your, for your dual wield weapons. And you've got a one, a two handed ax for your big slicey weapon. And of course you've got a two handed mace for your two handed macey thing. Cause that's just, they're all going to be maces. That's all that is. As you were going through the game, if you have an ability that, like, say your your main, your basic strike is, uh, I keep forgetting, it's, it's Frenzy. So Frenzy uses two one-handed weapons. So every time you hit your Frenzy button, you get a little bit of experience, or whatever you want to call it, in the expertise bar for that weapon. And as it goes up, you get a rank. And as you go up and up in ranks, the benefits of the expertise go up. For example, one of the like the sword one, it's like a five percent chance to get a lucky hit, and then the damage will increase as you level up. And then at level ten, you get a special ability. This is not level ten, like your character at level ten. This is rank ten on the weapon expertise thing. You get a special ability like swords now inflict bleeds that that can deal up to thirty percent of the total damage that you already dealt. That sort of thing. And there's one for every weapon. There's one for the one-handed axe, one-handed swords, one-handed maces. There's one for uh, one two-handed like maces, swords, pole arms, and axes. So there's one for everything. And that's so you just get those abilities if you are currently using that weapon, right? That's pretty simple so far. Nothing yeah. you have to think about or plan about. But at level 15 you get the quest to go and run over to the dry steps and solve the problems of these barbarian people who really don't need your help. And it's kind of like, why am I here? But you do it because <laughs> they give you the, the, the armory technique ability. Basically it's a slot that you can pick through all your various techniques and decide, even if I'm not using this weapon, I will have this technique going at all times. So, Let's say you're using an axe and a sword. You don't have a, a, a one-handed mace to equip, but you like the one-handed mace ability that you leveled up previously while you were doing this. You're at rank four there. You want that ability. You just put it in the technique slot. Now you always have it, whatever it is, whatever its bonus is, whatever it's, and if you hit rank 10, whatever its special bonus is, you have that as long as you've got that technique slot. So you can pick a weapon that you're like, I'm, I'm not going to be using this all the time because of the way the armory system works, but I want to have it all the time. And you can just have it all the time. You know, this this begs a question that just kind of pops up as we're talking about this. How does inventory looking in Diablo 4 right now? I don't, it's about the same it's, as in Diablo 3 in terms of how much it lets you carry. 
I would say. Maybe a little yeah. better. Everything is the same size. That's really that's the big takeaway. Mm-hmm. Everything takes up the same amount of inventory space. It doesn't matter if it's a gym or a pole arm. It takes the same amount of an inventory space. There. That's actually kind of a huge a change. It's a lot less micromanagey. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, like a we, ring, a, ba- a you know, the, your your chest plate, the that three hammer. Of us, yeah. yeah, the three of us have spent a lot of time playing Diablo Among Us. I'm pretty sure we've all spent a lot of time playing Diablo. Oh, yeah. uh, the Diablo and, Diablo Two is the best uh, Tetris game I've ever played. <laughs> exactly. It's you're sitting there rearranging your inventory and putting this here. Maybe this will fit here, and maybe if I move this, I can fit in some more stuff over oh, here. And I, I will car- take you in there, and I, I need to carry these. Ch- and I need to carry these charms in my bag because they give me a very specific <laughs> bonus, and I'm terrible without them. So I gotta fit them in my bag. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that's always been part of the game, but I don't think it was ever a part of the game that was actually fun. It was always something in the game that took you away from actually playing the game. You had to walk away from the game and be like, okay, I'm going to, how does this fit? How does that fit? Oh, I'm going to cram this thing in my bag. And that wasn't fun. And Diablo 4 feels like it's cut off some of those systems that were frustrating, that stood in the way of you just killing demons all the time and it's just cut out some of those frustrations and just lets you okay i'm just i pick something up it goes in my bag maybe my bag is full and i filled it up with stuff but i i don't have to like look at the stuff in my bag i don't have to rearrange my bag i just go back to town sell stuff salvage stuff put stuff in my uh stash and then I can go back to killing demons. You yeah, exactly. There's none just, of that micromanaging stuff. I was gonna say that's the I, the only time I remember even dealing with it was when like sometimes it'd be like, oh, my bags are full. All right, and I would literally just teleport back to the the nearest big town, <laughs> go to the blacksmith or the uh, the jeweler, and clear my stuff up, sell the stuff that I didn't care about. I usually ended up selling like the the for lack of a word the grays and the blues, yeah. uh, and then I would I would salvage everything else mm-hmm. that I wasn't going to use. If I wasn't going to upgrade to it, I would salvage it because those and materials are very hard to get otherwise. Yeah. I'll say salvaging mm. is pretty much basically the way it is in Diablo three, you break down an item and you get crafting materials. Yeah, exactly. Um, but which is used by the various, okay, you want to upgrade your weapon or, Hey, you yeah. want to put a legendary on it. We talked about that earlier. It's I, th- this is the materials by which you do that. I will note one of the challenges I found with salvaging is when you get to legendary items, because some of the high-end upgrades require materials that only come from salvaging legendary items. Which is but really also, not something you want to do, because you want to get the affixes, and yeah. It, but it yeah, is, because if you, you, you want to extract the affix from it, so you can use it on something else, but if you extract the affix, it destroys the original legendary. So it's like, there's this push and pull. So you really can't we were talking about legendaries earlier. You really don't have an infinite stream of legendaries. You kind of have to decide, oh, do I need these crafting materials more? Or, oh, do I want this affix more? And if you get the affix, but you don't have the crafting materials for which you have to salvage legendaries to get, then you're you're waiting. You're waiting until you yeah, I, I will say one thing I noticed was that at least with the stuff, once you've upgraded a, a weapon with a legendary affix and you can't do it mm-hmm. again, you can then yeah. salvage that legendary. Yeah. And get the, get the drops from that. So at least there is there's there's still obsolescence built into that system. So it isn't yeah. just you know forever the same thing. Um, but it's like it's like there's a choice there. It's like okay, mm-hmm. do I need the crafting materials more, or do I really want to keep this affix? And I probably wound up doing it like fifty fifty. 
you know, sometimes it's like, oh, I don't care about this affix. I'm just going to salvage it. Sometimes, oh, I need this affix forever. Um, so I'm going to I'm going to bring this back a little bit because we're, we're sort of running on time. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so I, I do want to get to probably the other thing that I know a lot of people are really interested in, which is going to be the end game. So we know that the classes are going to have unique feels. We know that they're going to have uh specific setups that their abilities are gonna they're they're gonna basically do their thing and make it feel as special as possible but how does that look in the end game so there's a, a, a apparently a bunch of end game stuff as any good diablo game should have what have you experienced so far um so i mean your first thing in the end game you're gonna wind up somewhere between 45 and 50 when you yeah, when, when you, you finish, finish the game and yeah. Yeah, you finish the campaign and that's you've got to finish the campaign to unlock any kind of end game content. And uh the one thing is if you finish the ca- campaign on one character, you can skip it on future alts. So, I don't know why you would skip it. The campaign is great and you should yeah. always play it, but you can't There is a lore embargo. Straight. We're not talking about the campaign. Yes, yes, I <laughs> I'm just I'm we just tell you say, it's good. It's um, good. I can't. I can't spoil it for you. Even, but. even let's for a moment. Let's take away the lore of the campaign. The campaign path is one of the easiest ways to get gear and follow the story in a way that will allow you to progress your character. Like you get mm-hmm. stuff for doing it. It isn't just oh, yeah. about the amazing storytelling. Like one of the things I noticed was that I was taking my time in zones. I'd go to a zone to do the campaign. I'd finish the campaign in that zone. Like I went, like I'm pretty sure it was act three that I noticed this on. And then I just stayed there. I could have left. I could have gone and done something else, but I'm like, I want to finish this zone. And so you end up, it it is, there's a lot to to do that, but to get back to this, the trio whispers, uh, Liz should probably talk about it because I didn't get the chance to activate it. Um, so yes, after you finish the campaign, you can unlock the Tree of Whispers, which is kind of a world quest system. Basically, I mean, it'll you'll have different objectives all over the world map. And then maybe it's like, ah, oh, complete this dungeon or kill so many things over here. It's it's really your kind of it's kind of the world quest event- adventure mode kind of thing. And it's always going to be there after you hit uh, after you wrap up the campaign. You can also once you hit once you hit around 50, you can start unlocking higher level world tiers. So world tier three, you have to complete what's called a capstone dungeon, which is a yeah, pretty difficult dungeon. It's scaled for about level 50, but I have heard people doing it earlier than that. It's just you know, be ready for a bit of a challenge. And if the boss is trying to hit you, you have to dodge it. There is no other option. Uh, once you finish that dungeon, so Unlocking tier three, you have to finish the dungeon on tier two. You can't uh, cheap out and do it on tier one, which is easier. You finish it on tier two, and then you unlock tier three. To unlock tier four, you do the same thing again. There's a dungeon scaled for level 70 this time that you have to play through on tier three, and then you unlock tier four. In uh, In each ascending level of difficulty, you are getting more experience, more gold, and better gear. Now, tier three nightmare is where you start seeing the hell tide zones, which I talked about earlier, which are just kind of, they're real creepy. They're like, you go in and like, it's like someone turned the lights down and made them all red and like stormy. And like, you really feel you, there's no mistaking it that you are, you are in a hell tide zone now. And uh, you just, uh, you you kill things, you collect these crystals, and you use the crystals to unlock chests. You have a limited amount of time. 
so you can really you can kind of focus on gear there because each of the chests is like oh this is a chest of like leg armor this is a chest of like gauntlets you know it'll like each chest is specific and each one will have a different cost so you're i mean it's kind of you do get into some of that standard diablo grind you're going in you're killing more things you're getting better gear as you advance through the levels matt that's kind of what i got there (laughs) yo i'm here Uh, i was just gonna say there's also um the fields of hatred which isn't exactly end game because you can do it anytime you want, but you can yeah. definitely focus on it in endgame if you want to. Uh, and Fields of Hatred are basically PvP, in that they are PvP. Uh, you go into an area, that you go to the Fields of Hatred, you basically toggle on, you know, I'm going to do this PvP thing. And you there's these crystals that you can gather in the world. I can't remember their name. But you go and you find a place where you can gather them. But once you start gathering them, it's like the entire map it like starts pointing at you and going, hey, everybody, <laughs> this person has stuff. And then everybody shows up. And sure, some of them are playing rogues. So, <laughs> okay, you die. But some of them are playing necromancers, <laughs> which is like really hard to kill on a barbarian. Like, my word. Just so much junk. I end up having to use so much AOE. Uh, mm-hmm. Really hard to kill a necromancer. Um, Druid's also mm-hmm. pretty hard. Necromancers are pretty widely considered to be hugely overpowered. Yeah, uh, they're very, it's not even a question of them doing a ton of damage or anything. They're just hard to kill. It's like, Mm. man, it's like, it's like Burning Crusade era Druid versus Holy Paladin (laughs) fighting here. It's like, yeah, you're not doing enough damage. Nobody's doing enough damage to kill anybody else. Uh, But, you know, like Druids are are an interesting matchup. I honestly felt that Sorcerer, Sorcerer has had like just a lot of, like they can pop a lot of damage off on you. Uh, really fast. So they were actually one of the harder ones to fight uh, just because they could just, just go. If they have everything ready to go, they can just blow you up. Uh, but yeah, you, you, so you go through there. If you manage to survive, you can take the crystals that you get and you can go to like the person who you basically say, here's a bunch of crystals and they go, here's stuff. Uh, <laughs> but if you don't, if they, if you get killed, you lose all your crystals. Or I don't know if you lose all of them or a chunk of them. I honestly can't remember because they did all this during the server slam and it's been a while. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's an interesting system because it is basically entirely up to you if you want to do this. Like the game is practically like the Simpsons episode where the guy's stepping on your foot and stepping on Homer's foot going, hello, Mr. Thompson. Like the game wants you to know this is optional. You don't have to do this. You can still walk away, man. It's okay. You can walk away from this if you want to not do it. So it's it's very much a you are signing up for the, for what you're about to experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, it feels like what Diablo three thought it was going to do <clears throat> when they were talking about PvP way back in the day, like in 2012 or 2011, actually. And then they were talking about <laughs> when, yeah. Well, yeah. When they but, when they first announced it, and they had the uh, the. I don't want to say the announcement video for it, but they have like a demo of what it could look like. That yeah. sounds like what you're describing. It does feel a lot like that. It, it's, I don't know that I would do it a lot, but it's definitely something you could do as end game content where you could basically just focus on it. Cause if you were focusing on it, you could build for it. Um, I, I, there's definitely builds you can make at least as a barbarian that have a lot more AOE crowd control that mm-hmm. I wasn't using because I was focusing on stuff like, you know, damage. Uh, yeah. But if I were building for pvp i could actually see going down different builds so it's definitely there if you want it if you are not interested you do not have to do did we uh and and maybe liz did you mention the tree of whispers yet 
Sort of. I mean, it's a the Tree of Whispers. It's that's your adventure mode, basically, that you unlock once you have finished the main campaign. Yep. It's different quests and objectives all over the map, and you collect a certain number of, I believe, they're called favors. Favors yeah. with the Tree of Whispers, and mm-hmm. then you go back to the Tree of Whispers and you get a crate of gear. Are you gonna? It's one of the things I like about these in-game systems is they give you some choice on what you get. So you go to the Tree of Whispers and you get a choice of three things. So this is a crate of armor, this is a crate of gold, or, you know, whatever. And you have a pretty good odds of getting a legendary drop in there. So it's, but it's a lot like Adventure Mode. It's a lot like World Quest and World of Warcraft. You just see a lot of markers on your map. And you can go in any direction and do whatever you want. I do want to note that... Um, one thing you can absolutely do it in game, and you certainly should, is keep exploring, keep doing side quests, because the game story does not take you through most of the game. Yeah. It does not take you through maybe a third of the map if you just follow the story. There is so much more out there that you will not see by just doing the main campaign. If you're First, trying to do like the, the, the campaign and the side quests at the same time, uh, you will like level to like 30 before you get done. You, you will be in the Fractured Peaks at like level 35 and there easy. will still be quests in the Fractured and- Peaks you haven't done yet. Cause there's just so many quests in the fracture peaks and they're all like that. Every zone is like that. Uh, th- yeah. There's more stuff in the dry steps than I thought was possible for the dry steps. I remember <laughs> thinking to myself, I'm still doing things in the dry steps. What happened to me? What have I become? Why am I still here? <laughs> so yeah, there, there is, if you've played an open world game, this is one of the densest open world games I've played. And I have played cyberpunk 2077. So <laughs> think about this when I'm saying this. And as you as you keep progressing, you know, as you unlock those strongholds, you are you're you're gonna run into more quests. I mean, yep. there are because strongholds give you more quests. Yeah, absolutely. yeah. If you clear a stronghold, you're probably gonna immediately get four or five new quests, new side quests there. And these aren't side quests like okay, go and kill ten demons over there. I mean, sometimes they are. Sometimes yeah, they're like that. But it's like oh, it's like oh, hey, I have the sick bear. That's my friend. And please go get some herbs to help me heal it. And you do that. And it's like you heal the bear. And then you're like, well, uh, you know, actually, I want to go find who hurt this bear and like murder them. And so you go and do that. And it's, you know, you get things that have their own. And the bear stories. shows up and it's like, no, you shouldn't have done this. <laughs> no, no, I just, I always remember that quest from there's, there's actually a one really good quest. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, this is Fractured Peaks. But there's a quest where you've like this, this woman is looking for an artifact and she's like, Hey, help me find this artifact. And you're like, all right, you bring back oh, the no. artifact, you go and get the <laughs> I artifact. I know where this is going. Yeah. I know where this is going. And it, it's, it's not like, good. Yeah. It's, it's like everything you do in the fractured peaks, you might as like, there's like practically neon signs in the sky going, what are you kidding? You're going to give her that <laughs> artifact. But yeah, it, there's, but uh, the, my point is this, that it then opens up a quest in a different place. Mm-hmm. that follows up what just happened. And then when you do that, now you have to go up to this other part, which opens up other quests because you haven't been there. And it's just, it's really interestingly dynamic in terms of how the world is there for you. It, it, there's stuff for you to do for a long time. And things, to, uh, things it keeps progressing the story. Like uh, you played through Act 3, so you know Gulfroon. Mm-hmm. I may be saying that wrong. You play through Gulfroon and you rescue someone in the city. Well, you know, that seems to be a happy ending. It's like, oh, I got this person out of this bad place. Cool. 
great. I'm just gonna, gonna go home, feel really good about myself because I did a good thing. But you can find that person later at another point in the game after you've rescued them and things are not so good. Like they took a bad thing from Golroon and now you have a little side quest, which you could completely miss. It's not in an obvious location. You might have already been through that area. You might not go back afterwards. And uh, you're like, oh, actually, this is worse. This is this actually, I thought it was bad. Just got worse. Diablo does a lot of that. I yeah. mean, specifically Diablo 4 has this huge aura of sadness, of loss, of hurt. It in a way no other Diablo game has had. The reason Diablo I would 4, play... Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. I, I just want to say Diablo 4 feels like the game where you actually get to see the consequences of well, your actions. So the way that it was, the way that I, I, I've been thinking about it, and I, I don't know if this is accurate or not, all of the Diablo games have been dark, but they haven't actually been grim dark. Diablo 4 feels like it's leaning very heavily into the grim dark, where it's the this like future that was not planned for this world or these people that you're dealing with the repercussions of it. It is not a happy place. There is very little solace to be found, uh, especially after the events of Diablo 3, where most of humanity was wiped out. Uh, and it's literally this ever-present, ever-pressing tide of darkness and evil where there isn't necessarily the same number of heroes or even just humanity able to band together like it used to. So everything feels a little more dire, a little more fatalistic almost. So, like, You read the, you read the Black Company books? Yeah. The Black Company books are a really good example of the kind of thing they're doing here. In terms of like the way that the world reinforces the uh, the ideas of of the world, like the, when you run into the consequences of of what's gone before, um, just just the you like Skazglen does this so well with like stuff that you never saw in any Diablo game because it's stuff that happened in between D two and D three, or Skoslin, no D three and before. Skazglen just Skoslin wow. just, just kills me. That zone. Dad Zone knocks it out of the park on story, mm -hmm. on emotion. There are there are so many feelings in this zone. I would not call Diablo 4 Grim Dark out of everything. I would not call it Grim Dark because Grim Dark Grim Dark is so gritty and so focused on everything being awful that it almost doesn't contain any genuine emotions or genuine human aspects. It, it's so focused on being dark that you don't get anything that feels real. Exactly. It just feel everything yeah. feels bad. There's a moment yeah. in Scott's Glen in uh, mm -hmm. the main story. If you're doing the campaign in Scott's Glen, there's a moment where I know, because I know Diablo lore, what's about to happen. Mm. And when it does, and I, I'm trying really hard here, not to talk about <laughs> lore, but when that moment happens, I've never felt worse about being right about something in my mm. life. And, and the voice of the actor who's, who's with you. What? No, no, no. He's like, he's completely denying that it could be what you know it is, you know? And it's just, it hits like a tank when you get there. The and voice. even the people, the people around him, like even go, they even remark on it after it's, it's, and it's something that remains in part of the zone after you've done it. The voice work is stellar, and there are just so many moments that are heartbreaking, but not 
they're heartbreaking and dark, but they feel very real. They feel very genuine. You know, there's, I've talked before about the woman in the fractured peak who's like over her husband's grave saying, talking about how she can't sleep without him snoring, without the sound of him snoring. She misses him. She can't sleep anymore. Uh, there's a woman in Scotland where you're kind of in a big traumatic story moment, but if you stop and talk to her, she's leaning over a skeletal charred corpse saying, get up, get up. We've got to go. I can't go without you. And you're just like, okay, I need to stop here and have a little moment because I'm going to start crying, but maybe I should just keep killing demons. Okay, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna focus. Diablo has tons, tons of moments like that that just hit you. And they're not all bad either. There's like one moment in particular where you wander around with somebody doing, uh, frankly stupid things straight up <laughs> stupid things because their friend died and they want you to oh yes help oh, yes, them that one. basically commemorate that person's life it's not grim or sad it's just it's just something you might actually do in real life like you might find yourself like you know all right well like you know we'll go and we'll steal the mascot from the local uh you know fast food <laughs> restaurant and we'll hang it up stay up there on the wall just for just for joey for joey you know, and it's, it's, it's dumb and it has nothing to do with demons really, except that they're in the way, but mm-hmm. it is, it is this moment of your character stopping in the middle of this world shaking event thing happening to be a person, something that in D3, the Nephilim never once stops to be a person unless you're no. playing a barbarian because the male barbarian <laughs> just sounds like your grandpa. So he's like, Hmm, I will keep that in mind. It just, it feels like you're adventuring with a really ticked off Santa Claus. Um, (laughs) this game though you definitely feel like your characters are people and you feel you feel like all the NPCs are people everyone Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, there mm -hmm. are so many points of like just genuine human emotion genuine relatable moments Uh, you meet in Dry Steps you can meet a character who is kind of having a PTSD panic attack breakdown because something reminded them of something Mm -hmm. Uh, that's just a little side quest you can just run into it uh, there's a story moment later in the game where someone is worried that you're going to leave them behind and really kind of freaking out. You're like, wow, this is the most relatable thing I have ever seen in a video game. I, uh, there's a character in Fractured Peaks. Um, well, we can probably talk about that because that was in the... Uh, yeah, that was yeah in the, Fractured well, Peaks is free game. Yeah, I was going to say, do we do we keep it, going about that? Or, or do we... Because we're kind of at the time yeah, limit. Let me, let me give you this one and then we can wrap up. Uh, when you go to Fracture Peaks, the first time you meet Vigo, he is a dick. The Carpathian? He, no, but, <laughs> but he is very similar to him. Uh, he is a character in the game that he's took he's a bribe. Not- he took a bribe to let people go where they weren't supposed to go. And then you go down into the place where they, he let them go. That, and it turns out that, that wound up bad. That yeah. wound up real bad. Yeah. yeah it was real, real bad. It and, was like... He did just, a little bad thing, and then yeah. it just it went real, real bad. Yeah, this was like she offered him something like a lucky charm. He felt like, yeah, all right, you know, what's the big deal? What's down there that could possibly disturb? Very bad things. <laughs> you shouldn't let her down. So after that, he's like, he is repentant, and he's torn up about it. He is torn up about what he has seen. He's torn up about the fact that he ran away and left you to deal with it. Like it, it's, it's bothering him. It's not bothering him in the way that you often see in games where he's like inconsolable screaming, you know, he's just, he's bummed out by this and he's a little nervous about what's going to happen. 
like when he tells the uh, head of the church what he did, he's he's afraid. So he, he hangs out with you a bit, and you go and do stuff together. And he's still at one point he's sitting there and he's like, I'm just praying. Nothing's happening. Why isn't it working? And you're like, Hey, what's up? And he's like, Oh, oh wow. You should go talk to Inarius. And then the next time you see, you go back to the, uh, the head of the church and you're like, uh, Hey, Frava, where's Vigo? Oh, we had a really good talk. And he's, he's, he's working on his penance right now. It's bad. What ha- cut that? I guess when you do the, I, you're making yeah. it very hard for me. <laughs> just my point is Vigo story is that of a person yeah he doesn't ever feel like stock character number five and Mm -hmm. when he does bad things he does bad things because he is a person with his own wants and needs and sometimes he doesn't think about the consequences of his actions it's just it's really something that is worth seeing in this game fair enough You, you really you really feel for a lot of the characters here the voice acting sells everything it's they've done top-notch voice acting and top-notch writing that brings all these characters to life in scenes that will cause you to have real emotional reactions for you to relate to these characters for you to it's it's astounding what they've done in this game i would not usually say you should play diablo for the story (laughs) i would in fact before this i would never have said you should play diablo for the story you should play Diablo 4 for the story. It paints an amazing, beautiful universe where a lot of things are going wrong, but it's still, it's a game that causes genuine human emotions. You feel them in the characters around you. You see them in the world around you. And that's, that's a really special thing. Not many games can pull that off. Which is fair because, uh, I mean, it is Diablo. If you're not feeling strong emotions, they're not really doing their job right. But I think that's going to do it for time. We've covered a lot of stuff here, uh, and there is so much more that we could have talked about. Literally, the laundry list of questions that we have that we could have answered. There's I so like, much. I really, we I did really try to, to ask people. I tried to ask. I got people to ask a bunch of questions, and we barely touched on them. Well, I mean, to I be fair, a lot of the stuff is, we covered was included in some yeah, of those questions, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? I, I want to answer this one question from Galvin. Is Diablo for the diablo Diablo? Yeah, probably. Yes. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is the most Diablo you're ever going to Diablo. It is Diabloing very hard. And Diablo has not shown up yet, as far as I know. Like, they, they've said previously, not here. I didn't meet him. I don't know what that means. Yeah, this is I mean, an amazing game. We're, and there's so much more, right? Like, the game being in beta has... We people playing have barely scratched the surface of what the game has to offer, mm-hmm. even when getting to the end game content. And we talk about this all the time with other games. And it's true here. When you're in the beta phase, there's only so much that you can explore and discover, even when you have thousands of people doing it. Uh, but as the game releases, which, you know, we're coming up on again at the time of this recording, just I think just exactly a week. Um, Depends on if you had the early access from pre-ordering. If you had the pre-order, two it's, days. it's two, two days. days from early access. Two more days to wait. I, or if you're I am, I am on looking. Friday, f- it will be there. I am looking forward to that because I did pre-purchase. Um, it's one of those things where you will organically find things, and people will post things, and you're going to discover things collectively as a group. Um, so keep looking forward to that. But uh, for now, I think we're going to call it good here and. 
Uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means that this podcast signing community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast. Better chance at having your question answered on a podcast with a queue and an ads-free site experience. Uh, if you have questions for this or any of our podcasts, please feel free to send them in. Uh, we are slowly churning through them. Our episodes have been getting a little bit uh longer winded when it comes to the questions which means you have been asking very good questions please keep doing that uh you can send those into podcasts at blizzardwatch.com uh you can just specify what show it's for you can also hit us up on our discord server we have two channels one uh set aside specifically for our patreon subscribers uh patreon q and podcast questions channel Go ahead and, and toss it in there. Specify what show it's for. Uh, we tend to look there first just because of the way of saying thank you for helping us keep the lights on. Uh, and then if you can't support us that way, don't want to send us an email, you still want to send us on Discord, you can go to our Q&A podcast questions channel and ask your question there. And again, I do want to remind everybody that if you can't support us financially, we understand times are lean for everybody, but feel free to share our content, whether it's a link to our live stream, whether it's a link to the recording. If you we are on a platform that you are listening to us where you can leave us a review, whether it's stars or a thumbs up or whatever the case is those all go a very long way to helping us continue to do this something we very much love uh and with as much diablo as we're going to be playing in the future we're going to need this outlet otherwise i'm pretty sure matt and liz will explode i've we've been playing the uh early review build of diablo 4 for like a week and a half and i have been like vibrating with my desire to talk about Diablo 4. Yep. It's been terrible. Terrible. (laughs) But with that, folks, we'll see you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade.